the city work is important because that's where the people are. And because the city work is important, medical missionary work is important because that's the way to do the city work. So we've been told. And because the medical missionary work is important, we need to understand its setting and grasp how important it is. Because the reality, I would say, is that we don't. We have no idea how important it is. And the only place that you actually see the total importance of anything, the big picture of the great controversy. That's one, one setting in which everything assumes its respective weight and value. And so this morning I'd like to, uh, like to cover a topic that's, I'm guessing you don't hear a lot of sermons on Lucifer. <laughs> but you know, you're not going to understand the great controversy without some comprehension of Lucifer. There are echoes for our day in ways that we little imagine, I think, at this point. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the more admired traits, if you listen to the business world or, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of different arenas of human endeavor these days, one of the things that is considered really great and wonderful is the ability to innovate. It seems like we're always being told we need to think outside the box. You know, apparently we're all in boxes, and we need to learn how to think somewhere else because we're, we're just a bunch of losers, I guess. We need to innovate. That's, that's, that's a highly praised, um, highly praised ability. And yet, there's a downside to innovation. Lucifer was, in fact, the first great innovator. And basically what he said to the angels was, let's try something new. I've got a new approach. So let's start at the beginning. Every good story starts at the beginning, but uh, the Bible actually gives us three different beginnings, and we're looking for the middle beginning, as it turns out. The first beginning, the one that we might most readily think of, is actually the third. That's when uh, God created the heaven and the earth. Uh, if there's a third beginning, then there has to be two before it, and yes, there were. And the first one is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was time immemorial. And it's the one in between, the one in between that we're really interested in, and that was when Jesus was talking about this, he said to a group of Jews, he was addressing, he said, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth for he is a liar and the father of it this is the beginning we're talking about this is the beginning of sin it's not the same as the beginning of Lucifer because Lucifer was created sinless <coughs> this second beginning this middle beginning is very closely related to the second mystery we'll get this stuff out of the way here it won't take long the first mystery is the good one, the mystery of godliness. The second mystery is the bad one, the mystery of lawlessness. One of the interesting aspects of these two mysteries is that the first one was hidden from the beginning of the ages. Now, what makes that so interesting is that the first mystery, the mystery of godliness, is God's design 
to respond and deal with the mystery of lawlessness. But the antidote was created or planned prior to the disease. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's just a simple example that it's, it's really hard to catch God flat-footed. Yeah, he's, he's, he's ahead of you. <laughs> he is ahead of the game, okay? Uh, and that's, that's actually very, very good. Okay, well, let's go ahead. This second mystery. This is what we want to look at, the bad mystery. Let's take a look at this a little more closely. You're probably familiar with these verses from 2 Thessalonians 2. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Coming of the lawless one, according to the working of Satan, power, signs, lying wonders. I'm kind of skimming through here. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, there's an interesting little detail down near the bottom of this passage. If you read the, the King James, the authorized King James from like 1611, the wording is a little different. It says that those who did not receive the love of the truth end up believing a lie. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. My Greek vocabulary is about half a dozen words, okay? <laughs> so... Um, all I can do is report that which those who are supposed to know tell me that they know. And that is that the Greek there is much more specific. Now, in English, we call these things um, articles, right? And remember your articles, a, an, and the. The only difference between a and an is whether the next word starts with a vowel, basically, okay? But the difference between a car and the car is the difference between the indefinite and the definite article. And in the Greek, this is the definite article. They believe the lie. Well, that means it's, in some way or another, a particular lie. It's the difference between, oh, there goes a car, and there goes the car. Now, I don't know, you know, you can imagine for yourself what might make the car the car. Maybe it's your car, maybe it's his car, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the car that just ran over the dog, or, you know, whatever it is, okay, but it's a specific car, and this is a specific lie. What lie is it? What is, what is the lie, right? Well, Jesus tells us the devil was a liar from the beginning, and by this time he sold lots of lies. One that we often think of is, you shall not surely die, right? We often say that was his first lie. And um, on earth, you know, yeah, you could go with that. But he had told lies before that. <laughs> okay. What is the lie? Now, I'm going to argue, and you feel free. Uh, I, will, I will warn you, you'll... Some people get annoyed with me, me on this point, but uh, I will warn you when I don't have a thus saith the Lord, okay? <laughs> I 
So some things here are thus saith Dave, and you can, you know, know what to, you know, how authoritative that is, right? It's, it has no authority whatsoever. But it is my best understanding. If you have a better understanding, praise the Lord, send me an email. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your understanding, okay? I don't find a specific thus saith the Lord, but when I go looking for the lie, here's my best my best guess. Because of the way it is, is, it's worded, those who don't receive the love of the truth receive the lie. I expect it to be something very, very foundational. It's, it's something right at the heart of the issue. So let's go back and look at Lucifer at the beginning and, and see if we can spot something here. Familiar with these verses as well, Isaiah 14, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. Well, this is what Scripture records Lucifer as saying. These were his intentions. In one sense, the whole package here is a lie, because it's not going to it's not going to end up that way. But you know we could also just call it boasting. You know, um, groundless boasting. He says, "I'm going to do this." Well, no, it didn't didn't work out that way. Sorry, just not going to work. So, hmm. Well, okay. I'm going to suggest that the lie is often overlooked, I'm going to suggest it's right there. And I'm going to suggest that this is not Lucifer saying, I will be, it's hard because the English language only gives you so many words to use. Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not Lucifer saying, Um, his intention so much as his argument. What he's saying here is, when I exalt my throne, when I push myself to the front, when I do this, I will be like God because that's what God does. God exalts himself. You see the difference? Uh, yeah, somebody help me out with the English here. Figure out a better way of saying it. <laughs> uh, I will be like God. He's, he's saying, I will be like what God is already doing. Now, <clears throat> far be it for me to endorse Lucifer's idea. But at some risk here, let me play devil's advocate for just a couple of moments. Bear in mind, we're talking here in heaven, in a situation where the angels hardly knew that there was a law, right? Remember that statement? They'd just naturally done this, and, and everything had been happy, and, and everything was good, you know? But imagine Lucifer planting seeds of doubt in the angels' minds, and imagine them trying to answer a couple of questions, like, did you ever wonder why it is that everybody 
worships God all the time. I mean, that's, that's like he's the only one we worship here, right? I wonder why it is. How did, how, did, how did that get set up that way? You may recall Lucifer was the choir director. Why is it that in the heavenly hymnal, all 5,374,623 songs are about God? I wonder how that came to be. God created everything. Did he create it to exalt himself? How would you know? How would you know? Did all that just happen? Or did God set things that way, set things up that way on purpose? Okay, now done playing devil's advocate. Let's switch back to the good side. <laughs> but I want you to see, you know, I mean, this is, boy, I tell you, um, in the in the the research I did for this, and especially in the, the letters and manuscripts file, any of you who are into reading obscure Ellen White stuff, by all means, you got to get hold of that file or, or use your little smartphone app thingy, whatever. I prefer to do it on a hard drive, but anyhow. Uh, oh, there's a ton, of, a ton of fascinating stuff. And it's heartbreaking to read about the rebellion in heaven. Because there were angels who almost sided with God. And there were angels who almost sided with Lucifer. And there wasn't that much difference at the parting of the ways. You know, angels are individuals. It's an interesting point. After Lucifer's fall from heaven and the expulsion, it's an interesting episode where Ellen White says that, that Lucifer went away to mature his plans. And he came up with the plan of uh, tempting Adam and Eve. And he presented that to the rest of the angels. And she says, not all of them agreed. Now, some of them says, yeah, let's do that. And others said, you know, I think we get in a lot of trouble doing that. <laughs> They, they did not all agree. And Lucifer said, okay, I'm going to go work on the plan. You guys figure out what you're doing. And it's interesting. She says he went away and he trembled. He was vacillating. He was back and forth. He was fearful. But then the other angels came and they said, okay, we talked it over and we have all agreed we're going to do it now. And the moment he saw them coming, you get this picture, he's like, yeah. <laughs> you know? If, if you're the leader, you got to be the leader. And that, incidentally, is deadly, and we'll see that echo coming back a little later. But anyhow, okay, well, let's go on. Now, there's an important thing to understand, or we could get messed up very badly here. We do not have an answer. 
we will never have an answer for the question of why sin originated. Why, why, you know, perfect God, perfect universe, perfect Lucifer, perfect angels, perfect heaven, and then sin. Why? There's no answer. Okay? We've been told there's no answer. If there were an answer, if we give a reason for it, it wouldn't be sin. Okay. Now that is anathema to human intellect. The whole concept of academia is built on, on, the, on the, the single premise that if we only understand enough, we can figure this all out. And God says, don't try. <laughs> Just don't try. There are certain things we ought not to try, okay? And that's one of them. Now, here is my, well, let's see. Let's read this. It is impossible to explain the origin of sin. Give a reason for its existence. I, I, I just said all that. You know, if we, if we could excuse it, then it wouldn't be sin. Okay. Um, if we think we found a reason, we are wrong. We got to get that in our head. Okay. But that does not mean that God has not given us a lot of information about the course of Lucifer's sin. Okay. So, for instance. Why did Lucifer decide to sin? We don't know. Once he decided to sin, why did he sin the way he did? That we have information on. Does that make sense? Do you see the distinction? Okay, I want to be really clear. I'm not proposing any reason for sin. I am proposing, I'm going to share with you what I think is fairly compelling evidence as to why he chose the course that he did. And we need to understand that. Okay. Uh, we need to understand that because we're in a war. Okay? You know, if, if somebody came busting in, how many doors have you got? All three doors right now, you know, uh, screaming, Allah, Akbar, and, you know, spraying bullets with an AK-47, we'd all feel rather badly about that. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, the reality is we're in a worse situation every day. And the devil hates you. And he wants you dead. And so I think it's important to recognize that. Okay, let's go on. God calls for far more tact, more wise generalship than has yet been given him by his human agents. There is need of sharp, sanctified thinking and keen work to counteract the ingenious plans of Satan. I don't need that there. Is that showing up? No, it's not. Good. Okay. <laughs> you got to love the things that computers pop up on your screen. Okay. Uh, why do we need more wise generalship? Because the war hasn't been won. <laughs> okay? The war is not over. And don't pretend that's God's fault. Okay? It's the lack of tact and wise generalship from the human agents. That's the only thing that's holding this whole game up. Okay? We need sharp, sanctified thinking, keen work to counteract the ingenious plans of Satan. If we don't know what his plans are, what are the odds we're going to be able to counteract them? I would propose zero. So let's go on. At the final condemnation of Satan and his angels and of all men who have finally identified themselves with him as transgressors of God's law, every mouth will be stopped when the hosts of rebellion from the first great rebel to the last transgressor are asked why they have broken the law of God, they will be speechless. 
there will be no answer to give, no reason to assign that will carry the least weight. That's then. Right now, people have all sorts of reasons. <laughs> the difference is between now and then, the wise generalship of God and sometimes cooperative wise generalship of human beings will have demonstrated the falsity of all those reasons. There will be none of them that will carry the least weight. So, more to understand about Lucifer. We need to understand him as an individual to some extent. So, notice this. The greatest talents and the highest gifts that could be bestowed on a created being were given to Lucifer, the covering cherub. Before his fall, he was a glorious being occupying a position next to Christ. And another one. Lucifer was a covering cherub distinguished by his excellence. God made him good and beautiful as near as possible like himself. Now, I'm going to introduce a concept that gives people a little unease because we have correctly, in a certain sphere, grown up with the idea that God can do anything. There are things God cannot do. And right here's one of them. He could not create a being more like himself than Lucifer. He had reached the limits. Don't ask me. No, I can't explain how omnipotence and omniscience and everything else has a limit. But that's what this inspiration says. It was as near as possible. Okay. Well, so what about Lucifer, though? Notice that he was... Uh, he was made good, right? God made him good, right? He was created with the greatest talents and the highest gifts. All this was given to him, apparently from the moment he was brought into existence. He was as near like God as it was possible for him to be created. That's not a bad way to start your life. A little bit more about Lucifer. He chose to sin. We will never know why. But we do know some things about his choice to sin. And one of the interesting things is that it was chronologically, and I don't know the time frame. You know, the time frame of heaven is like a fascinating thing, you know? Let us make man in our image. Satan was jealous of Jesus. He wished to be consulted concerning the formation of man. And because he was not, he was filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. Okay? Now, I'm going to argue that in his heart of hearts, the problem had already begun, I believe. Um, we'll see more of that in a little bit. Satan hates mankind because they are the workmanship of God. He opposed the creation of man. Are we taking a vote? I, I, I vote against it. Don't, don't, don't make those guys. <laughs> Is this only coincidental? 
did the plan for the creation of Earth and humanity have some integral relationship with Lucifer's rebellion? Well, <coughs> I'm going to tell you, I believe the issues are very much connected. So I'm going to show you a series of uh, statements here now. I want you to consider these from the perspective of Lucifer after he had chosen to exalt himself. Okay? We don't know why he did that. We don't know how he could do that. But somehow, he made that choice. And what makes it clear, it was in his mind long before it was evident to anyone else. So imagine that you are Lucifer, but you've already got a tendency towards selfishness. Next to the angelic beings, the human family, formed in the image of God, are the noblest of his created works. Next to. Okay. The earth was to be peopled with beings only a little lower than the angels. Okay. That's nice. That's simple. It's just like Psalm 8, right? A little lower than the angels, right? Hebrews 2, because it quotes Psalm 8, so same thing. Man was created a little lower than the angels. Look at this reference. No other creature that God has made is capable of such improvement, such refinement, such nobility as man. Man cannot conceive what he may be and what he may become. Through the grace of Christ, he is capable of constant mental progress. Now, that last statement makes human beings sound somewhat special. And I want you to notice some words here. Improvement. Become. Progress. This is not a gift fully formed at creation. This is an ongoing process. This is unlike Lucifer. It was a wonderful thing for God to create man to make mind. God created man that every faculty might be the faculty of the divine mind. Don't ask me to explain these kind of references. I just put them up there to impress you. Because I, I don't know what it means. Just, like it said, we have little idea what we may become through the grace of Christ. I don't know what that means. But I hope it impresses you because I think it means a lot. <laughs> okay? I just, uh, yeah, I'll be honest. When I have limitations, I'll, I'll share my limitations. Okay? Man was the crowning act of the creation of God, made in the image of God and designed to be a counterpart of God. Man is very dear to God because he was formed in his own image. What did she mean when she selected the word counterpart? <laughs> you know, I, I, I use the illustration. I say, well, you know, up in Canada, we've got a prime minister. His name is Justin Trudeau. 
And if he were to go on a state visit to England, he would uh, meet the prime minister over there, uh, Theresa May. And they would be counterparts, prime ministers of their respective countries. That doesn't necessarily make them equals. If the Prime Minister of Canada were to go, oh boy, let me see if I can get my geography right here. Um, okay, give up on the geography and, and the, all that stuff. Anyhow, if the Prime Minister of Canada or of, of England or Great Britain or however, that's, that's a whole complicated situation over there with the difference between England and Britain and Great Britain and the United Kingdom, and I, I never can keep it straight. But anyhow, if one of them were to go to, say, Lesotho, I don't even, I'm sorry, I, I should really look this up before I try to use the illustration. I have no idea who's the, who's the head honcho in, in Lesotho, okay, in South Africa area. It's a little tiny landlocked area. I think it used to be part of the English Empire. There's a, a king or a prince or a chief or a prime minister or a president or somebody. I don't know who or what he is. I don't mean any disrespect. But they would still be counterparts, although the one would somewhat dwarf the other in, in world significance. Does that make sense? You with me on that? Okay. <laughs> but still, <laughs> designed to be a counterpart of God? God would place man upon probation to test his loyalty before he could be rendered eternally secure. If he endured the test wherewith God saw fit to prove him, he should eventually be equal with the angels. That's a new idea. And notice this is something that's to happen eventually. There's a process involved. Okay? More statements. Those who in the strength of Christ overcome the great enemy of God and man will occupy a position in the heavenly courts above angels who have never fallen. What happened to a little lower? What happened to equal? The work of redemption involved consequences of which it is difficult for man to have any conception. I'm, I'm with him there. Yeah. <laughs> there was to be imparted an excellency of power which would place him higher than the angels who had not fallen. But now notice these last two statements. These are talking about the, the end result of the plan of redemption, which raises what to me is a somewhat uncomfortable question. Do we end up better off after sin? <laughs> yeah, the, the whole sin thing, is that really working to our advantage? No. <laughs> no, because the original plan was for us to be higher than the angels. I'll show you. <laughs> we need to understand a little bit more about Lucifer. God was a light so effulgent. Ooh, that's a great vocabulary word. I used to be an English teacher, right? So I can't help it. Okay. What does effulgent mean? Class? <laughs> Shining forth brightly, full of light. It, it means bright. Yeah, okay. God was a light so bright 
that Lucifer occupied the position of covering cherubs that the universe could at all times look upon his glory. Okay, what did that mean? He who was once the covering cherub, whose work it was to hide from the heavenly intelligences the glory of God, perverted his intellect and divorced himself from God. What was Lucifer's job? Hiding God. And yet, Adam and Eve were granted communion with their maker with no obscuring veil between. Now put yourself in Lucifer's position. What's going to happen to my job? And this communion here was definitely a part of the original plan before sin messed things up. Okay? A couple more statements. Through the imparted life of Christ, man has been given opportunity to win back again the lost gift of life and to stand in his original position before God, a partaker of the divine nature. Satan, in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race, had thought to frustrate the divine plan in man's creation... But Christ now asks that this plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. He asks for his people not only pardon and justification, full and complete, but a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. That was the original plan. Why did Lucifer become selfish? I have no idea. But you know what? Once he's selfish, I can see why he had a problem with human beings. All that helps us understand this next quotation. It's one of those ones from the letters and manuscript file. How this never ended up in a compilation someplace, I have no idea. I about dropped my teeth (laughs) when I read this next one. The creation of our world was brought into the councils of heaven. There, the covering chair prepared his request that he should be made prince to govern the world then in prospect. We would say then in planning. This was not accorded him. Jesus Christ was to rule the earthly kingdom. Under God, he engaged to take the world with all its probabilities. And I suspect that that, those probabilities include the probability of sin. The law of heaven... Would be, should be the standard law for this new world, for human intelligences. Lucifer was jealous of Christ, and this jealousy worked into rebellion, and he carried with him a large number of the holy angels. Okay, well, we've got to hurry along. Now give us some background on our enemy. Now some general someplace once said, you know, the first, first thing in war is to know your enemy. I don't know who said that, but somebody said it. Okay, a look at the core of the rebellion. Very important. At the very core of Lucifer's rebellion, there's one simple but immensely important issue. This does not explain why he chose this. But I believe we can understand some things about the process. At some point, God said, Lucifer, please do this. I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. God asked Lucifer to do this. And Lucifer thought, that's her. Was it a little thing? Was it a big thing? I don't know. 
at some point, there had to be a first occasion when God said, please do this, and Lucifer thought, no, that's better. And the moment he thought, no, that's better, one of two things had to be the driving force behind that. In order to get to this point, one of two things had to have already happened. Either Lucifer believed that God had made a mistake. Like, wow, you know, that's, that's really weird. God wants me to do that, but this is obviously better. I mean, God's been really smart, and, and all, every, this is the first time, but I, yeah, I think he goofed. I think, he, I think he just goofed. That's one possible reason for thinking this is better over here. If it wasn't that, it gets worse. If God had not made an unconscious mistake, it meant that he knew what he was doing. He was deliberately asking Lucifer to do something that was not best. To get to that spot, Lucifer had lost faith in God. He had either said God made a mistake, which is a big problem because God's in charge of running the universe. He can't really afford many mistakes, okay? Who could trust his wisdom if he'd made a mistake? So Lucifer at least doubted God's wisdom. And possibly, and very quickly, I don't know the order of how it developed, but following quickly on the heels of doubting his wisdom would have been this thought. If God hadn't made a mistake, then it meant that he was intentionally harming his subjects. Who could trust his love if that had been proven false? Lucifer had to doubt either wisdom or both wisdom and love of God. Now, there's an interesting concept known as the supreme being triad. You know, have you ever heard of it? If you believe in a supreme being of any kind, I don't care, you know, just if you believe there's a supreme being, you better hope he has three characteristics. <laughs> okay? You better hope he has wisdom, power, and love. And he needs an unlimited supply of all three. If he has power and love but is lacking wisdom, you've got a problem on your hands because he's going to do some dumb stuff. If he has wisdom and love but he's lacking power, well, it's nice that he thinks sweet thoughts about you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a thought that counts, right? <laughs> okay, but he can't carry it out. And if he has wisdom and power, but he doesn't love you, you're in a world of hurt. You better hope he has all three. Now, what's interesting here is that of those three, Lucifer very quickly came to doubt wisdom and love. He never challenged God's power. He knew that. Which is important when we get to the war in heaven. But let's go on. Lucifer lost faith in God's wisdom and probably God's love as well, but that's not all. If Lucifer was smart enough to spot God's mistake, 
That meant Lucifer was smarter than God. What's more, if God had tried to trick Lucifer into some, doing something that wasn't for his best good, then the mere fact that God had failed to fool him meant that Lucifer was smarter than God. Well, that's what pride is built from. Now it would be easy for Lucifer to simply do what he was sure was the best thing. I mean, I'm smarter than God. I've proven that already, and, and this is better than that. So I'm going to do this. Because I'm smart. Doing this is what we call disobedience. All this other stuff comes before, but this is the actual act of disobedience. But that's not all. Even if Lucifer never said a word about his disobedience, the influence of his actions told all the other angels, you can't depend on God to take care of you. You need to take charge of your own life. You need to do what God does. You need to exalt yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to look out for number one, buddy. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, again, switching over momentarily to devil's advocate. Oh, I want to do this quickly, but let's just pretend for a moment. Suppose you're one of 100 people who gets shipwrecked on a, 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 your classic, you know, a mythical island in the middle of the Pacific, okay? And so here you are, you got 100 people, and you're standing there looking around, and, and this 100 people, how are they going to organize this newly formed society on this little island someplace, okay? And I'm going to suggest that there's a, like a continuum. There's all sorts of things in between. But it could go all the way from this end, where I look around and I say, this could be a dangerous situation. We don't know what's in those woods. I don't know what we've got for water. I don't know what we've got for food. And I don't really know these people. I better get down to the beach, go over the drift to it. I can probably find something that has some metal in there, maybe make a knife, get a club. I'm going to have to watch my back. And I could spend all my time taking care of myself. At the far other end of the spectrum, it goes something like this. Okay, everybody, listen up. We don't know what's in those woods. We don't know what we've got for food and water. But if we all stick together, we can, we can deal with this, okay. Nobody ever leaves camp with less than five people, okay? Five people, we stick together, we do okay. We, you know, if we, we all cover everybody's back, we'll make a go of this thing. You know, I used that illustration for years in my Bible classes, and, and I always manage to convince my students, that's what teachers get paid to do, right, is con, you know, convince students of things. I always manage to convince them that, that this was better than taking care of myself, because that seems kind of selfish after all. But you know what? Numerically, it's the same. If I spend 100% of my time over here taking care of myself, as opposed to everybody spending 99, you know, or 100% of their time taking care of 99 people, over here it's it's one man day per day. And over here, it's 99 99ths man day per day, which numerically is the same. You follow that? See what I'm saying, you know? If, if you're doing that. But I can convince them because, well, sometimes, you know, if they're sleeping in the hammock, you don't really need 99 other people watching over you. So, so, so they could focus where the, it's really needed. So I could always get the kids to say, yeah, this is better. This is a better approach. 
Here's the problem. Suppose I adopt this approach and say, I am going to look out for these people. We've got 100 people on the island. What if there's enough food for 20? I just committed suicide. It always comes back to the question of, will God take care of me? God says, I will supply your needs. Do I trust him? It always comes back to the question of resources. I don't think I have the statement in here, but Lucifer desired to establish a kingdom that was independent of the Lord and sustained by resources other than God's. Let's go on. Exalting himself, that's the lie about God. But that's not all. Once Lucifer took the responsibility of caring for himself, it meant he had to do whatever it took to provide for himself. If necessary, that would mean stealing. If necessary, that would mean murder. It's nothing personal. Brother, I don't, I, it's not that I dislike you, but there's only enough food for one of us, and I'm going to eat it, not you. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? If I have taken the responsibility of caring for myself, push comes to shove, it will be murder. And Jesus said Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning. You notice nobody died in heaven? But Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning. Because Jesus understood the principle of anything that's not based on faith in God on anything that's based on the concept of, I will take care of myself. Okay. <clears throat> we don't have time to cover all the tactics, the methods that Lucifer used, but I want to uh, go through these quickly and then provide just a certain amount of, of kind of supporting information. Here's how he did it in heaven. He exploited his position and trust of the angels as long as possible. He hid his intentions from others. He implied or insinuated without clear assertions. He was kind of vague in what he was saying. He distorted others' perceptions. Ellen White says he used hypnosis. He maintained plausible deniability. Right? You understand that concept? Plausible deniability is that, you know, I, you can't really trace it all the way back to me. <laughs> okay. I got these guys to do it, but you can't, you can't trace it back to me. Shift responsibility to others, that's closely related there. Just plain lie if you need to. Abandon discredited positions without accepting responsibility for having advocated them. Yeah? Once you're proven wrong, you just don't say I'm sorry. Don't acknowledge it, just divert, move on. Cite supporters as evidence of correctness. Hey, all these people are on my side. Got to be right and appeal to sympathy. How come you're picking on me, God? That's a quick list. There are others that could be brought in, but that's when you go looking through what Ellen White says about Lucifer's rebellion, these are the, the primary techniques, techniques that he, he used. So just reading some statements to, that will touch on some of those points. Okay? Taking advantage of the loving, loyal trust opposed, reposed in him by the holy beings under his command, he had so artfully instilled into their minds his own distrust and discontent that his agency was not discerned. 
That's the plausible deniability part. Lucifer had presented the purposes of God in a false light, that's lying, misconstruing and distorting them to excite dissent and dissatisfaction. He cunningly drew his hearers on to give utterance to their feelings after he had distorted their feelings. Then these expressions were repeated by him when it would serve his purpose as evidence that the angels are not fully in harmony with the government of God. This is the number one technique that she cites over and over again. She talks about this, how Lucifer would plant seeds of doubt, come back later, re-engage the same angels in conversation, get them to say something that he had prompted them to say before, but now it was out of their mouth. While claiming for himself perfect loyalty to God, he urged that changes in the order and laws of heaven were necessary for the stability of the divine government. Thus, while working to excite opposition to the law of God and distill his own discontent into the minds of the angels under him, he was ostensibly seeking to remove dissatisfaction and to reconcile disaffected angels to the order of heaven. While secretly fomenting discord and rebellion, he, with consummate craft, caused it to appear as his sole purpose to promote loyalty and to preserve harmony and peace. <coughs> In his first display of disaffection, Satan was very cunning. All he claimed was that he wanted to bring in a better order of things, to make great improvements. Satan could present no defined reasons as to why he wished the law of God changed or abolished. He simply declared his conviction that the angels would be better off without the law, but he could not tell in what way they would be advantaged. What a con job. I mean, seriously? He sounds like a politician. Oh, yeah, he was. Lucifer gained the sympathy of some of his associates by suggesting thoughts of criticism regarding the government of God. This evil seed was scattered in a most seducing manner, and after it had sprung up and taken root in the minds of many, he gathered the ideas that he himself had first implanted in the minds of others and brought them before the highest order of angels as the thoughts of other minds against the government of God. Thus, by ingenious methods of his own devising, Lucifer introduced rebellion in heaven. That, again, that's, that's the number one technique that she cites. Why was it such a concern? Because there's power in it. Notice this. Words have power to react on the character. Men are influenced by their own words. Often under a momentary impulse prompted by Satan, they give utterance to jealousy or evil surmising, expressing that which they do not really believe. But the expression reacts on their thoughts. They are deceived by their words and come to believe that true which was spoken at Satan's instigation. It is dangerous to utter a word of doubt, dangerous to question and criticize divine light. Your mind is built in such a way that when you say it, your mind says, well, that must be what I believe. Don't say what you don't believe. Back to Lucifer. Many of these angels who sympathized with Lucifer held high, had occupied high positions in the government of God. All were enriched with the talent of intellect and were girded with strength and glory. This is kind of an interesting parallel to the 250 princes of the assembly, right, who sided with Korodathan and Abiram, right? Tells me something about the pride of position. It's a very dangerous thing. The seeds of alienation were planted afterward to be drawn out and presented before the heavenly courts as originating not with Satan, but with the angels. In his artful way, he drew expressions of doubt from them. Then when he was interviewed, he accused those whom he had educated. He laid all the disaffection on the ones he had led. Shifting the responsibility. Someone may do that to you someday. 
And if you've already said the things that you've been prompted to say, you may well accept that responsibility and actually think your honor depends on defending these positions that they planted in your mind. You want to be careful about that. In his interviews with other angels, after succeeding in finding sympathizers, he arranged his arguments and presented them as if they were the sentiments that had originated in the minds of those whom he first led astray. The tempter would throw all the blame of his course upon others who were below him. He would make it appear that if he could have moved according to his own judgment, all this demonstration rebellion would have been avoided. God, if you would let me handle it, I did the best I could. This is a confusing situation. You can find current day analogs. You will want to be careful. <laughs> are you going to be able to see who are the real source of the problem lies? You may hear a lot of people saying a lot of stupid things, but they might not be the ones who originated it. Lucifer worked through the medium of influence, taking advantage of the action of mind on mind. And ever since then, sin has continued its hateful work, reaching from mind to mind. Every sin committed awakens the echoes of the original sin. Mutual dependence, the, our influence on back and forth on people. Mutual dependence is a wonderful thing. Not necessarily, yay, wonderful, but like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I think is what she's saying there. Reciprocal influence should be carefully studied. When placed on the side of right, influence is a power for God. When placed on the side of evil, it is a power for Satan. One human being under Satan's control becomes a means of temptation to another human being. Thus, evil grows into immense proportions. You cannot look to human beings. You can't. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. You cannot do you want an idea how important it is to not look at men? Go to Daniel 2. What was that a statue of? And what happened to it? <laughs> the influence of mind on mind, so strong a power for good, when sanctified, is equally strong for evil in the hands of those opposed to God. This power Satan used in his work of instilling evil into the minds of the angels, and he made it appear that he was seeking the good of the universe. This expression here, the influence of mind on mind, a little later in her writing career, Ellen White adopted the more modern terminology for that same idea. as hypnotism. <laughs> That's what she's talking about, okay? The word hadn't come into vogue when she was writing some of these statements, but in her later writing from about 1910 onwards, you'll find the word hypnotism. Devil makes hypnotism look like a joke. A TV comedy kind of thing, right? Yeah. Just for the record, hypnotism is no joke. We'll touch on that later. <clears throat> Satan was artful in presenting his side of the question. As soon as he found that one position was seen in its true character, he changed it for another. Oh yeah, it does sound like a politician. <laughs> this is clearly dishonest. But angels had never seen dishonesty. How long did it take them to catch on to this new thing. I don't know. 
Satan exultingly pointed to his sympathizers, comprising nearly one half of all the angels, and he exclaimed, These are with me! Will you expel these also and make such a void in heaven? He was expecting a no. The answer was yes. When it was announced that with all his sympathizers he must be expelled from the abodes of bliss, Satan and his host threw the blame of the rebellion wholly upon Christ, declaring that if they had not been reproved, they would never have rebelled. Hello, what? <laughs> you were reproved because you rebelled. <laughs> Don't play mind games with me. Christians are supposed to be sympathetic. But you know, there is a false sympathy fine line. Lucifer cast the cause of his, his defection upon Jesus Christ and upon God. If they had not so firmly resisted his plans, he said, he would not have gone on doing as he did. Wrongdoers always find sympathizers, and Satan so represented his case to the angels that he drew many angels from their allegiance to God. We look at Satan's arguments like this, they all seem pretty weak, but bear in mind, we are no match for the devil. He is very, very good at what he does. How good? I cannot explain this next statement. I just put it up here to impress you. <coughs> Two statements, I guess. It is impossible for man to measure the ingenuity shown by Satan in deceiving human minds, and Lucifer's work of deception was done in so great secrecy that the angels in less exalted positions supposed that he was the ruler of heaven? Yeah, I don't know how that works. But he was doing a really good job of whatever he was doing. Okay, last slide. Why is that missing? Let's get that up there, okay. These are the accusations that Lucifer brought against the government of heaven. He said, angels are holy by nature and wise enough to govern themselves, so they don't need God's law. He said, God was unfair when he exalted Jesus above Lucifer. He said, God is proud. He said, God is selfish. God's law is defective, and it needs to be changed. Neither angels nor human beings can obey God's law, because it's defective, right? God's law is arbitrary. That's the most interesting one of the batch. God's law makes forgiveness impossible. And by the way, everything that God says about all that other stuff, he's lying. Now, if you study formal logic, debate, uh, logical fallacies, all that stuff, okay, one of the logical fallacies is known as poisoning the will. And it works like this. Suppose I'm candidate A and... I'm candidate B, and we're both running for mayor of Columbus, or SEAL, or whatever's local. And we're, we're here today for a, a little debate type of thing, right? And so I stand up, I'm candidate A, and I stand up and I say, ladies and gentlemen, it's so good to see your civic activity here, that you all come out for this uh, debate this morning between my opponent and myself. Before we get any further, there's one important thing you must understand about my opponent. He is a notorious liar. You can't really believe anything that he says. Okay, when I get the chance to speak, what's the first thing I'm going to want to say? I am not a liar. And he's going to say, he just lied. <laughs> That's poisoning the well. 
once a person's integrity, once his honesty has been questioned, the end result is immediate. You cannot verbally defend yourself. The only option you have is demonstration. So I leave these with you for now, till tomorrow morning. Suppose you're God. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because this is a big mess right now, courtesy of Lucifer. That's not a really happy note to close on. <laughs> but we can fast forward to the end and say, God wins. <laughs> let's, uh, let's kneel for prayer. <laughs> Father, we are thankful that you have accepted us into your army. And though we sometimes see ourselves more as a occupation force than the infantry, we pray that you would help us grasp the times in which we live and the issues and principles that are at stake. Pray your blessing on uh, every presentation, every aspect of this convention. I thank you for it. I thank you for those who are here, for those who are here on a regular basis and maintain this institution and carry on the witness for you that they do. Thank you for the time and trouble and effort that they put into making this possible for us. We just pray that your presence will be with us in all we say and all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.